just pray together. Father, thank you that you've brought us here tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you're alive. Lord, you're the God who lives and you reign in our hearts. Father, anoint us now by your Holy Spirit that we might have teaching from your word. Lord, let it go into our hearts and change us. Thank you, Lord. Just be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, well, tonight we're, we're turning to the rest of the gifts of the Spirit in this Church Life series. You'll remember we've already done a series way back when about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I've said before that that spiritual gift series runs in tandem with this so it's only when you've heard that series as well that you're going to get the whole picture. Now, in that series, I mean, for instance, we dealt with the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And I mean, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, that's what everyone thinks of, tongues, interpretation, prophecy. Wow, 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 don't they? I mean, they're the ones they go for. And when you talk about the fact that there are other gifts of the Spirit, people think, what on earth are you going on about? Now, by the time we finish this series, we will in fact have covered the whole lot. We will have covered all the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, between the two series so far, we've done tongues, interpretation, healing. We've covered eldership, we've covered deacons, all these things, all right? And tonight, we're going to start to deal with all the ones that we haven't done yet. And that what we're going to be doing tonight, or starting to see, is what else is on offer for us. Because that's the point. All these gifts and ministries are there, are on offer. And they're there for us as a church to take and receive by faith. So let's go through the ones that we haven't covered yet. Go first of all to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Now then, in the, first, in the first part of it, you've got the famous nine, the ones that everyone thinks of, you know, healing, tongues, etc., etc. Uh, but we're going to start reading from verse 27, and we're going to see that um, Paul refers to other gifts as well. He says, Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets. Now, there are two gifts we haven't dealt with yet, and we'll be moving on to that later on, all right, next time, and a few studies then. Uh, but he goes on, there are teachers, workers of miracles, healers, helpers, administrators, speakers in tongues, etc., etc. Now, there are two in that list that we're going to concentrate on that we haven't done before. Now, apostles and prophets, later on. Teachers, in that list we've done that, elders and Bible teachers, workers of miracles, we covered that earlier, healers, we've done all that, okay. But now we're going to move on to the two in that list that we haven't touched. And the first one is helpers. Can you see in verse 28 it says healers and then it's got helpers. There's a gift of the ministry called helps. And we need to understand what that is. Because who's going to claim a ministry or a gift in the Spirit and move out into it if they don't know it exists? Therefore, we've got to know what does exist and what it actually means. 
there is a ministry of being a helper. Now, what does that mean? The Greek word here is antilepsis, which sounds rather like a pastel for when you've got a sore throat, doesn't it? But it comes from two words. It comes from anti, which means instead of, and the verb lambano, which means to take or to lay hold of so as to support. And the meaning of this word is it's a ministry given to people who are there to take the burden off of you. When there's a particular burden, people with this gift step in, and the idea behind it is to take the burden off of someone else and to carry it with them and for them. Now, there are two areas it works in, all right. The first one is the purely practical aspect. Because we saw in our study that it's important that we serve each other in the church. It's not just all praying together and ministering to each other and having cups of coffee together, is it? That there are times when we need to get in there and to help and serve each other in practical ways. Now, this gift is needed so that practical help can be given for those who genuinely need it. And these are as practical as you like. Maybe you've got a house and it needs to be decorated. Now then, if you're rolling in money, you can get the decorators in, all right? But there are many people in the body of Christ, they haven't. And so in come the helpers. Maybe the car's gone wrong. Now if you've got loads of money, you take it to the garage. But sometimes there are people in the body of Christ. It's not viable for them to do that. And someone with this ability is going to step in. It's what I call the Jim will fix it ministry. <laughs> All right? The ministry of helps. Now, obviously, as with any gift, all right, there are things that we can all do a little. I mean, we've seen that, that all of us can teach. All of us can come together and share something God has shown us. That's open to all. But there are other people who excel at it. God's given them, an, the, them a special calling. But it doesn't mean they're the only ones who are going to throw their hand in, as it were. Now, it's the same with uh, this. There are people who excel at it, and there are people who are bodgers. All right. Now, the people with the ministry are the people who really excel at this kind of thing. Being in there with the practical help that's needed. And I know exactly what Debbie is now saying to Denzel. But I do want to emphasize that this gift isn't there to provide cheap labor for people with money to spare. We've seen that before. This gift isn't there so that everyone's going to get someone in to do it cheap. We're talking about when someone is in genuine need and they can't help themselves and the practical people kind of step in and do it, all right? I mean, for instance, some time ago, now, I mean, we live in a one-bedroom council flat. Now, in a one-bedroom council flat, in your one bedroom, you get one plug. Now, because I'm a man of enterprise, an immense practical ability, <laughs> since we've been there, all right, and I mean, remember, in our bedroom is also my office. The computer's there, all the, the stuff for the tapes are there. 
we need lots of plugs to say nothing of somewhere to plug the hairdryer in. Now I came up with this very elaborate system that consisted of running a lead plugged into the one plug into a multi-socket that had about 10 other multi-sockets plugged into it, all fanning out over the roof. It was great, you know, a half hour in B&Qs and I had that problem sussed, all right. Now then, some time ago, Robert pointed, we started to have problem with the hairdryer. All right, now the hair dryer, you'd sort of dry your hair and for, for about three minutes it was fine and then there'd be this, this click, sometimes a rather unnerving smell of burning and, and I, I knew, I knew because I've had a lot of experience at things like this, I knew that something was wrong. Now, Robert, twin, Westwood, all right, who undoubtedly has this ministry, but he's not the only one in the fellowship. Now, he pointed out to me that our wiring was actually dangerous. Now, this is why we need people with that ministry to help people like me who haven't got it. Because I'd actually come up with an unsafe electrical arrangement in our bedroom, you see. And now, you know, I mean, obviously I know nothing about it. And Robert stepped in and he sorted that out for us. Now, there you, can you see that? A practical application. Someone who needed help and someone who was there to give the help. Now, that is the Ministry of Help's working and it's for all of us now obviously i will admit this is not my own personal forte <laughs> I, I i'll come clean but i'll have a go i'll have a go i mean <laughs> if, if if anyone will let me in i will have a go i mean <clears throat> i'm 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 okay at painting give me a wall that needs to change color i'm, I'm okay at that but ask me to put shelves up, and you're well advised to go to someone else, all right? But the point is, this isn't my forte, I'm not a great DIYer, but I'll get in there and have a go. And that's why I'm saying that with all of us, all the gifts as well, there are gifts that are for everyone. We can all come together and teach. But there are those who excel at it. But that doesn't mean that those who aren't teachers ought not get in there and teach the rest of us. And in the same way with the gift of helps, you might not be a great DIYer, but if you've got time and something practical needs doing for someone, there's at least something you can do. Even if it's standing there holding the drill for Robert all day looking gormless, which is my contribution, can you see? So it, it's good for us to all dive in if something practical needs doing. Particularly as there's a tendency, and I'll be back to this later, there's a tendency for people to immediately think gifts of the Spirit, healing, miracles, everyone wants those ministries. Now, to get in there on the Ministry of Helps, it enables us to keep our feet firmly on the ground. Can you see? Get in there, wave a paintbrush. That is really good sanctification stuff. So there's the first aspect of the Ministry of Helps, that there are people who just excel. They see the problem, the practical problem, they're in there and they're putting that problem right. And even if there are other people available who aren't as good as them, they can at least direct affairs. Can you see? absolutely marvellous, it works. However, there's a wider application for this, all right? Helping people. Remember to take the burden off somebody. And if someone needs a room done and they can't do the room themselves, that's the burden. So the practical aspect takes the burden off them. But there's a wider aspect to this. And it's this. 
It's getting in with people and showing them how to organize areas of their life if they don't know how. I mean, for instance, take finances. Now, some people have never been taught how to organize their finances. And their finances are in an absolute mess. Now, eventually, when those people kind of cry out, help, help, what do I do? I'm in a financial mess because I just don't know how to organize myself. Then can you see the Ministry of Helps, it gets in there and it shows them how to do it. Can you see? And believe me, that's a great burden of that person. It's practical help in any way at all, including that wider area. It can be sitting down with people and actually teaching them how to do certain things in a practical way. Some people don't know how to shop. Give two people 30 pounds a week housekeeping and one person will end up with an empty cupboard and the next person will end up with a full cupboard. Can you see? Because one person knows how to shop and budget, the other doesn't. Well, let those who know get in there and teach those who don't. That is the Ministry of Helps. Uh, finding jobs for people, that's an aspect of it. Sometimes people need jobs. Get out there, find it. These, the, the whole practical aspect of helping people in a practical way. And in some ways you can sum this up by saying, that what healers do for a body in regards to its health, i.e. heal it, helpers do for the whole of your life. Can you see what I mean? Because if you're sick, your body's not working the way it should. Well, healing puts it right. But it's no use being healthy if the rest of your life is an absolute chaos. You know, in debt or whatever, can't organise yourself. Can you see? Helpers step in and they do for your life what the healer does for your sore throat or your kidney problem or whatever. They bring healing and wholeness to that area of life. So then that is quite a ministry to pray for. And it would be good for us as a church to be praying that more and more people will be gifted with that particular thing. Right, now the second thing in this list is administrators. Administrators, there is a spiritual gift of administration. Now, the Greek word here, <coughs> oh, excuse me, the Greek word here is kubanesis, and it comes from the Greek word, verb kubaneo, and it means to guide, all right? And we get our word, the government. That word comes from this word. It's where it comes from. And the idea behind it is the ability to steer or to guide or to pilot administrate, to lead or to guide or to pilot, to have everything sorted out so the directions can be followed and things can go smoothly. Now there's no doubt at all that elders need to have this gift in regards to the church because if the elders can't administrate in the spirit then the church is obviously going to be in trouble. Elders have got to be able to steer or to pilot or guide. But it's not just a gift for the elders. We need other people in the church with it as well. What lies behind it is basically a clear-headed, sound organisational mind. Now, one of the things I want you to bear in mind with these gifts is that they're not necessarily... It's not the case that because you're not like it in the natural that you can't be like it in the spiritual, as it were. 
Someone who is an absolute scatterbrain can start to move in this gift. Is he? God's in the business of clearing our heads out. Clear thinking. Can you see? The razor-sharp decisiveness, which we all need. And it's important in every aspect of our lives, whatever we're doing, that we can certainly make sure that things are being done in that sensible, clear, decisive way. So it's all being steered through the rocks. So it's not one shipwreck, you know, crazy, chaos. And we need to understand that chaos only helps one person, Satan. Chaos is the opposite of what God wants, all right? God wants there to be clarity. I mean, praise God, he takes chaos and he brings order out of it. So we're not saying that just because there's a bit of chaos, all is lost. But this gift gets in there with the chaos and it brings it to order. Can you see? Whatever it is, whatever practical jobs one might end up with, all right, pray for this gift. And we need to be praying whatever we're doing that it's going to be administrated well, it's going to be steered and piloted, that it's not going to end up a jumbled mess, all right, that it's going to be in order. And remember that Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. Whether it's uh, projects large or small, that gift is, is certainly needed. Chaos helps no one. Okay, so there's two gifts of the Spirit on offer. Now, go to Ephesians 4. See some others. Ephesians 4 and find verse 11. There's only one in this list, list that we're after at the moment. He says his gifts that were, some shall be apostles and prophets. Now, that's a later study, those two, or later studies rather. Evangelists pastors and teachers. Now, pastors and teachers, we've done. That's elders. That's all been done. The one in this list we're going to do tonight is evangelist. We haven't actually looked at the gift of evangelist, and we're just going to do that briefly. It's very, very simple. No, no big deal. The Greek word here literally means a messenger of good. That is what an evangelist is. Someone who's got that gift, he is a messenger of good. Obviously, the good news of Jesus. Now, obviously, we are all called to evangelize. So, in one sense, we've all got to be evangelists. Every Christian is called to speak out the good news when God puts them in a situation where he wants them to, all right? But there's a specific ministry and gift here as well. There are some people who are specifically gifted to be evangelists. Now, one thing that we need to know at this point, and this will uh, actually be important later on when we do the, the, uh, our studies on apostles and prophets, but I just want to show you that, that whereas an evangelist might be an elder, all right, evangelist is not per se an eldership thing. Now, teacher and pastor is, evangelist isn't. Let me just show you that. If you go to Acts chapter 6, I just want to prove to you from the Bible that evangelist is not necessarily an eldership thing. So an evangelist might be an elder, but the fact that someone's an evangelist doesn't mean they've got to be an elder as well. And in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6, first full verse 5, and we're going to look at Philip. All right. 
Now this is where deacons were chosen, and in verse 5, one of the people who were chosen was Philip. Alright? So Philip was called to be a deacon. Philip was a deacon in the early church. Go over to chapter 8 and verse 5. Philip again, Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And if you read through that, we find out that Philip had the gift of evangelism. He travelled around, the church sent him out, he travelled around preaching the gospel and people got saved. Just go over to verse 21, uh, Acts chapter 21. Because we might ask, well, perhaps maybe it's the case that they originally made him a deacon, but it was only, only then that they found out he was an evangelist as well. Now, how do we know the early church didn't go, oh, goodness, oh, he's an evangelist, and we've only made him a deacon, or oh, we'd better make him up to elder, haven't we? Can you see how? Now, in chapter 21 and verse 8, which is years later, on the morrow we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. Years later, Philip was still a deacon. So, what that shows us is to be an evangelist isn't an eldership thing, because Philip was a deacon, and a deacon isn't an elder, can you see? So, I just wanted to clear that up. Let me go on, alright, to say that when people think of evangelists, if you say so-and-so is an evangelist, uh, they always in their minds think of kind of uh, a, a kind of a full-time evangelist and, and a preacher a la Billy Graham. Now, it's certainly true that some evangelists, that is how God uses them. They are preachers, if you see what I mean, and they're full-time. But that's not the case with everyone who's got the gift of evangelism. Most people think in terms of sort of like, I've been called to preach. Now, what we've got to understand is preaching isn't a gift, it's a method of doing something. There's not a ministry in the Bible of preaching. Preaching is a method of doing something. So a pastor might well preach. A healer might well, on occasions, preach. And an evangelist might well, on occasions, preach. But evangelism doesn't always equal preaching, you know, standing up there and there's the crown. To say that that is evangelist is to limit it too much. That can be. Many evangelists are at their best when they're preaching to the crowds. But there are also evangelists who aren't preachers at all, but they are still evangelists. I mean, for instance, there are one-to-one -one evangelists. There are Christians who have a gift that wherever they go, on a one-to-one -one basis, they're bringing people to Jesus. Alright? Wherever they go, they're always bringing people to Jesus. Stand them in front of a crowd and say, now preach the gospel, they drop dead. Can you see? Because they're not that type of evangelist. So they're a one-to-one -one evangelist. They may or may not be full-time. Whether or not it's full-time is neither here or there, but some people are one-to-one. -one. Uh, there are musical evangelists. There are people who God uses as evangelists, and it's through their music they're doing it. So there's another type of evangelist. An evangelist is simply someone 
who has a special gift for bringing people to Jesus. The method they're using is neither here nor there. They're going to use the method that suits them best. There are thespian evangelists. There are people who use acting and drama. And that's their calling. And people are coming to the Lord all over the place through the means of their drama and acting. That's great. An evangelist is simply someone who's got a special gift of getting the gospel out to people. The way they're doing it is not necessary. The, you know, isn't the main thing. And therefore, because we've seen that evangelist is an eldership, we can, you know, kind of deal with one of the old questions that goes round in regards to women and eldership. Can women be evangelists? Of course they can be evangelists. Evangelist is not an eldership ministry. Because an evangelist preaching to non-Christians, however they're doing it, they're not having authority over the church. They're preaching the gospel to people who don't know the Lord. So the ministry of evangelists open to women, no problem at all. Right, there is evangelist knocks on the head. Now go to Romans 12. And this is the, 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 the main list of, of the stuff that, stuff that we want. Romans 12 and find verse 3. Romans 12, and start at verse 3, and we'll, we'll just go through this. He says, For the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We'll be back to that later. Deal with the Mr. Wonderful syndrome. Each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, blah, blah, blah. And then verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, we all have God's grace, God's undeserved kindness towards us. But God gives different types of grace to different people. Because he doesn't want to use us all in the same way. All right? So, he says, let us use them. So Paul says, we've all been given gifts. He says, let us use the gifts, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. All right? Now, we've dealt with that in the spiritual gift series. Also, what Paul means when he says, in proportion to faith. All right? Then he says, if service in our serving. Now, here's a spiritual gift of serving. Okay. Now, the Greek word is diakonos. Now, when I say that the Greek word here is diakonos, who can guess what this ministry is? Any takers? It's deacon. It's deacon. It's, you know, spiritual gift of being a deacon. But also any other service as well, and that overlaps with helpers, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of overlap in this, you know. I mean, like, administration is often someone who's a helper. When you're getting in there to help people sort out practical problems, you need to administrate as well. So, I mean, they overlap. You know, it's not all, all cut and dried, okay? So that's that service. Uh, then he says... In our, um, he who teaches in his teaching. All right. So, there's the ministry of, of teacher. We've dealt with that. But remember, we can all teach. This isn't just the main Bible teaching. We can all come together and share. You can all, all teach us what God has taught you. Can you see that? We can all do that. And we've got to work hard at it. Can you see? We mustn't keep thinking that the gifts of the Spirit just drop out of the sky, you know, like the leaves in autumn. You know, sort of stand under a tree in October and gifts of the Spirit will drop down and, 
and land on you. It's not always, I mean, some do. You can't, you can't kind of say, right, I'm now going to have a gift of healing. There's a sense you've got to let that drop down on you. But with some of the gifts, we've got to actually work at them. Uh, just go to 1 Peter chapter 4. As this is certainly one reason why um, the gifts of the Spirit can be blocked a bit. I, I'm sure we'll move more in them when we get this really sorted out. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. And he says, As each has received a gift, employ it for one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who utters oracles of God. Like, if you believe God has given you something to say, say it. You know? Belt it out. As Robert says, put your whole heart into it. Whoever renders service is one who renders it by the strength which God supplies. So say someone needs a job done and you know that God is saying, right, off you go, you go and do that job. You know, maybe it's a wall to paint or something like this. I mean, don't turn up there sort of, oh, oh dear, oh, what a, oh dear, what a shame I've got to do this today. <laughs> do it with the strength that God supplies. You know, go in there, flex a bicep, get down to it. Paul says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Put a bit of effort into it. And he goes on, and he says, uh, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And you see, the point is, with these gifts, we've got to work at it. We've got to work at it. I mean, it's like when we come together on a Sundays, I mean, we all want to see the gifts of the Spirit flowing more. Are we working at it? Now, I'm not saying that you've got to sort of, you know, like sort of come with a, a prophecy you've made up, written down, ready to recite. I'm not saying that, but are we, are we getting a handle on this? And it's like, if you think God's giving you something to share in the meeting, well, I mean, have a little think about it. If it's something that you think Thursday or Friday, you think, well, I really think God wants me to share this. Make some notes. I'm not talking about an hour and a half Bible study, but get it clear in your head. Work at it. Put a bit of effort into it. And believe me that when we put effort into it, the grace in that gift is going to be multiplied. Can you see? It's not just sitting there waiting for all this to drop out of the sky onto our heads. We've got a part to play, and we've got to make sure that we do that. All right. Now then, next, he talks about... Oh, I've lost my place now. Hang on, Romans... Where are we? Romans 12, right. <coughs> and then the next one... He says, he who exalts, he who exalts. Now, this is a list of gifts. Now, here we have the spiritual gift of exhortation, uh, which normally gets put down to just the idea of sort of like chummying someone up. You know, it's the gift of chummying people along. Well, yeah, okay, that is an aspect of it, but... There's a bit more than that. The Greek word here for he who exalts or exalts, the Greek word is paraklesis. And it means one who is called alongside. One who is called alongside. And it is exactly the same word used of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus said the Holy Spirit was the comforter? Same word, called alongside. However, one of our problems with the idea of the Holy Spirit being the comforter or the exalter, it's the same word. So really, this is the gift of comforting, all right? One of the problems there is that in English, our word comfort has changed its meaning. 
Or it's not so much that it's changed its meaning, it used to mean two different things. Whereas today, it's lost its meaning and it only means one thing. Now, the word comfort always had a kind of the idea of they're there, all right? You know, kind of getting in there, sympathising with someone, you know, showing that understanding of them. It always meant that. But it used to mean something else as well. Now, I suppose you've all heard of the Bayeux Tapestry, you know, the, that great sort of tapestry commemorating when, you know, the Normans beat us all up. I wasn't meaning you, Norman. That wasn't a false accusation, brother. You know, the Normans came over here. King Harold got it in the eye, all right? Now, on the tapestry, all right, it's a kind of a visual account of the battle that took place. And, of course, because it's pretty old, the language is old and it retains its original meaning. And there's one particular point where you've got King Harold and he's got his spear up some soldier's backside. King Harold. <laughs> no comment, you see. Now, Harold is there, all right, and he's got his spear up the soldier's backside. And what he's, he's herding them on with his spear, all right, driving them forward. And underneath at that bit, it's a bit like a comic. Only it hasn't got blurbs, it's written underneath, but it's a bit like the Beano. And in that bit, all right, the blurb underneath says, King Harold comforts his soldiers. And he stick <laughs> it does. And he's sticking a spear up their backside. Because, because the original meaning of the word comfort was to get people where they've got to go. Now, if to get them where they've got to go needs a bit of there, there, poor old you, chuck it in. If that's needed to get them where they got to go, bung it in, all right? But that is only one aspect of the meaning of the word. And that what this idea of exhortation or the Holy Spirit as a comforter and this gift of exhorting people, one who is called alongside to get them where they're going. It's getting in there with people. It's the gift of getting in there with people and leading them through the really tough times. Now, can you see what I mean by that? I think all of us experience times where there's testing in our lives, there are problems in our lives. Now, I think we all experience sometimes when we get in a situation where we honestly, we don't know, it's, it, everything is really black, or maybe something happens, and wow, we can't handle it, and we're really in a mess. Now, the gift of exhortation is when someone can get in there with you, and they're the ones who stand by you and lead you through it. Now, can you see, this gift is far more than just encouraging people in the rather you know, sort of soppy sense of that word. It's getting in there in the really tough times and leading people through the really hard trials of life. And that the people with this gift of exhortation, they're the people who can respond to that cry for help. When the crisis comes, the cry for help goes out. And the person with this gift is the person who can get in there and they really understand two things. They understand the heart of God in the situation. They know exactly what God's doing. Can you see? 
they're tuned in to what God is doing through that really hard time in that person's life. But they are also tuned in to the heart of the person. They really understand the person's heart who's going through it. And therefore, they know from the Holy Spirit how much there there is needed, and sometimes it is. But they also know when a kind of, now look, come on, stop feeling sorry for yourself. You'll never get through this unless you stop feeling sorry for yourself. They know when to correct as well. And it won't be done harshly. It will be done out of the sympathy with that person's heart. Can you see? It's getting in there, responding to that cry for help and being able to get people where they've got to go when in order for them to get there, they're going through the most terrible problems and perhaps crisis experiences. And the gift of exhortation is that you can get in there with them. The Lord sends you in there with them and you bring them through. You're called in alongside them and you bring them through knowing all the time how to advise them. It's often the time when people just can't see, when faith perhaps crumbles. I'm not saying that people, you know, faith crumbles in the sense, well, I don't believe in God anymore. But the hardest times for you to trust the Lord. The person with the gift of exhortation will get in there and they will provide faith for you. Can you see? You can't hold yourself together so they'll hold you together. Can you see? They'll have faith on your behalf. You'll lean on their faith and you will draw them through. Now that is that gift. Now how do you know if you've got this gift? All right. And if you haven't got it, pray for it. But how do you know if you've got it? Well, you know quite simply because your phone rings a lot. Now, there's a very important principle here. This gift can only be used by people who are absolutely trusted by the people who they're going to help. Is he? Now, that's why I say, how do you know if you've got this gift? Because your phone keeps ringing. What you cannot do and what you mustn't do is see someone going through it who definitely needs someone with the gift to exhort them, all right? What you mustn't do is see someone in that kind of fix and just dive in and impose yourself on them. That is deadly. If you're the person to do it, they'll come to you. Because again, can you see the principle here that underlying this, people in that kind of state when they're going through the really hard times, They've got to know that whoever is helping them can be absolutely trusted. So the person who needs someone to come alongside of them, they'll make the running. You see what I mean? If you see someone who you think needs that help, and if you think you might be the person, then pray and say, Lord, if I'm that person, bring them to me. You see? Don't just dive in, brother, you need help, sister, you need help. That might be the last thing. Oh no, Lord, as if it weren't bad enough. Now I've got him trying to minister to me. Is he? So this, this gift develops through people actually coming through you. People have got to know that they can trust you. And can you see, for a gift like that, can you see all these gifts, there's a demand on us. Can you see there's a demand on us in all these gifts? And that here it is no use having areas of your life glaringly wrong for all to see and expect to be used in a gift of the Spirit like this. Is it? Because people think, why have you dived in with me? You're in as much mess as I am. How can you help? 
is he? You can only lead people where you've already been. So can you see, it's tremendously important. All the time, we've got to be realising that, yeah, the gifts of the Spirit are free. They're by grace. They're by faith. The fact that you've been using the gift of the Spirit, as we're going to see you know, later, doesn't make you Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Wonderful. It's the free grace of God. But, having said that, that doesn't mean that we haven't got a responsibility to make sure that we're growing in the Lord and our own lives are being sorted out. Because you can move in the gifts of the Spirit real shallow, and no problem with that. But the idea is that you get deeper in them. Hence, Paul says, prophesy in proportion to your faith. When you start to step out in that gift, it'll be very shallow, because that's all your faith is. No problem. Be shallow, start off shallow, and then get deeper and deeper and deeper. But unless our lives are being sorted out, we're not going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And five years on, we're going to be as shallow as we were before. And that's no help to anyone at all. We must make sure that our lives are all the time being sorted out. We can hardly presume to be a channel of God's blessing to other people if we are not being serious in getting our own lives right with God according to the teaching of the Bible. Now, I am not saying that that means that you must get beyond sin before you're using the gifts of the Spirit. None of us are beyond sin. I'm not saying that at all. But what we must make sure is at the very least that there is no undealt with sin in our lives. Now, do you see the difference? We've got to make sure that there is no sin unconfessed to God. We must make sure that there is no sin against another, that we haven't been to them and asked their forgiveness. Can you see? As long as we're doing that, then we can be channels for God to use and we can be going deeper and deeper. But if we're not staying right with God minute to minute, day to day, then we're going to find that we'll only ever be shallow and that we certainly won't open up new areas in the gifts of the Spirit where we haven't kind of uh, gone out in that before. Right, exhortation. Now then, the next one. He says, he who contributes in liberality. Contributes. There is a spiritual gift of contribution. Or in some versions, I think it says giving, which is fair enough. The Greek word is metadidomai. And it means to give a share of or to impart. That is the meaning of this particular Greek word. Metadidomai. To give a share of or to impart. Now, obviously, all Christians are called to give. I mean, we're talking dosh here, okay, large. I mean, not only dosh, but the main import of this is dosh, money. All right, the old pounds, shillings and pence, as it were. Now, obviously, giving is part of the Christian life. This gift, we're not talking about just the day-to-day -day sort of sharing of money that all Christians are called to. It specifically means... The idea behind it in the Greek is a giving that comes out of personal involvement. All right. So what we're talking about here, we're talking now about the people who aren't just putting money in the general fund or whatever. I mean, I hope everyone is giving as unto the Lord. You don't have to, you don't have to, but you ought to. And that's what the Bible teaches. I hope we're being generous in that respect.
But with the gift of giving, what we're talking about here is that, yeah, the giving is going on. But it's the times when you know that there are specific people with specific needs financially that you can meet. But the only reason you know is because of your personal involvement with that person. Now, I don't suddenly want to see people with financial need, real or imagined, making sure that we all now know that they're in financial dire straits in the hope that out of that is... That's not what I'm talking about. But with our involvement in people, weekly and monthly, that you realise, hey, there's a need here. And this is a giving that God calls you to that is over and above the giving that goes on anyway. And it's a giving out of personal involvement with those people. And having said it's financial, it may be a question of not just giving money, but maybe <coughs> going out and doing a shop up. Can you see? There are some people, believe me, that giving them money isn't the best way of helping them. Sometimes going out and doing a good, sensible shop-up for them, taking it round so they get the idea, that's the best thing to do. So rather than just give them 40 quid, when you know that they're going to go down the, you know, the shop at the corner and come back with three tins of baked beans and a, a tin of Spam out of 40 quid, all right, that you go and get the 40 quid's worth so they can see how to do it. Can you see? So maybe it can be that. Or getting involved with someone. Maybe you think, oh, I know this, but I know, I know, but I know, but I know that they've got a bill that they can't pay. Well, take that bill off their hands, pay it. Can you see? It's a giving over and above the normal giving of the Christian life. And, um, and I must just, that, that a gift like that isn't for the rich. I mean, I hope everyone's sitting here saying, oh, I can't afford that. Because believe me, it's often believers who can afford it the least who do it the most. See what I mean? You'll never stop worrying about money until you're being so generous. Is he? You'll never stop worrying about money until you've realised that your money isn't yours. God's lent it to you. It doesn't mean you can't spend it on yourself. I'm not saying we've all got to live like paupers and give every spare penny away. I'm not saying that. But believe me, it is not a question that this gift is only for people who can afford it. It is also for people who can't afford it. And believe me, when people who can't afford it give generously, how blessed they are. Do you remember the widow with her little mite? She put in everything she had. And that's not bad, isn't it? Is it? I mean, God would have provided for her needs, but she's actually in the Bible. That's some honour, isn't it? Actually have your little story in the Bible as a good example. It weren't like one of the Pharisees. Jesus, oh, don't be like them. I mean, I wouldn't like to be in the Bible in that context. But this widow, she was praised. What an honour, believe me. Generosity, precisely when you can't afford it, receives blessing from God, which is absolutely wonderful. And it often is, I repeat it, the people who are worst off, who move best in that particular gift. And look what Paul says. He says, he who contributes, he who is moving in the gift of giving, all right, not just your normal weekly giving, but giving over and above, all right, he says, in liberality. Now that word there in the Greek is generosity. 
He says, if you're going to do it, he says, do it with generosity. Overdo it. If you're going to make a mistake when it comes to being generous, overdo it. Don't underdo it, overdo it. That is what God loves to see. And also, it means of a pure motive. One of the things that everyone has got to be very careful of when it comes, you know, to sharing and giving our money, all right? Now, there are times when you can do it and no one knows, and that's best. It's best that that person doesn't even know it came from you. But there are other times when it is needful or there's no way that they couldn't know it. I mean, we're not saying it's actually wrong to have given money and the person knows it was you. We're not saying that is wrong. Sometimes it has to be that way. But what we've got to all the time look out for is it's done with a pure motive. You can give money with a view to buying people. And it's insidious. Can you see? You give someone some money in the Lord. Oh, how spiritually it's done. Oh, how freely. It's given. And my goodness, you're never going to let them forget that you did that. Can you see? Because you're, you're, you're trying to buy special friendship. Now, we've got to make sure that the motives are pure and that it's not trying to buy people. So there, they are, there you are, the gift of giving. Sincerely hope that everyone thinks, that's the one for me. Right, the next one. He says, he who gives aid with zeal. The spiritual gift of giving aid. What is that? We've done helpers already. What is this? Actually, it's a bad translation. It shouldn't be giving aid at all. It's a stupid translation. The Greek word is proistomy, and it means to rule. It's talked about elders. It's the gift of ruling in the church, all right? Why they translate that give aid, I really don't know. And we've already, you know, sort of done that. So we won't... Um, we won't go over that again. Now then, the next one, and this one is interesting. This one needs a little bit of, um, of thinking about. It's the last one. He who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now here we have a spiritual gift of acts of mercy. But then surely it goes without saying that all of us are called to acts of mercy. I mean, again, the, the translation, right, okay. The only way we can get to grips with this is getting into the actual Greek word, what it means as a Greek word. The Greek word here that gets translated acts of mercy is eliu, all right, eliu. And it's a very specific word. It means the meeting of a need born of feeling the misery of another person. I'll say that again. The meeting of need born of feeling the misery of another person. Now also, in the Greek, <coughs> this word assumes and implies adequate resources. So what this is meaning, it's something that people need doing for them, but not everyone can. Now, I want to show you that there are times when there might be lots of people looking on at someone and they all want to do acts of mercy. They all want to help, but most of them won't be able to. It will only be the person or persons with this gift who are going to be able to. Now, that gives us kind of the info that we need on this gift. I want to try and apply it to show you what it is. You see, all of us have had the experience 
when God brings people on our side, now we have all got problems. All of us go through sometimes the most horrendous problems. But there are always people who are brought into the church, who come onto your scene, all right? They become your friends. There are always people whose problems seem to be absolutely overwhelming, absolutely unshiftable. Can you see what I mean? Where, I mean, it's like other people have got problems and kind of, well, okay, after a while, you begin to see that the problem is beginning to resolve itself. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the problem is, but it's starting to resolve itself. But there are other people, and it's by no means anything to do with it means it's their fault. It might be the nature of the problem that they've got, all right? And it doesn't seem, what, what you do, nothing seems to work. They're getting nowhere. One of those things, and I think we can all identify with this, every ministry under the sun has been applied and failed. You've done everything. And no one knows what on earth to do next. Now, the situation you get there is that everyone wants to help. People are saying, oh, Lord, if, what, what, Lord, we just long to see this person come through to victory. But we don't know what to do. And people are kind of tearing their hair out. Not at the person, but they're tearing their hair out in frustration. How can we help them? It doesn't matter what you do, nothing seems to work. Now then, when everyone else has given up with that person, not because they don't love them, but because they don't know what to do next, and they get to the point they're just feeling stupid. They think, what can I say to them? I haven't said a hundred times. Now, when everyone else has given up, there'll be someone with the gift of Eliu, an act of mercy. There'll be someone there who sees this differently. This person is as confused as everyone else. He is aware that this problem is as unshiftable as everyone else's. Is he? He's not kidding himself, or she's not kidding herself. She knows everything that everyone else knows. But for some reason, everyone else is saying, I don't know what else to do. They say, fine. Leave it to me. Leave it to me and the Lord and that person. No problem. And you see, the person with that gift, when everyone else, as I say, has given up in hopelessness, despair, the Elihu gifted person will be there and they will see the person through to victory no matter how long it takes. Now, obviously, you might get to a point with one person where it becomes quite clear that eventually the reason they're, you know, they're not coming through is because they're not doing their bit. All right, there's no guarantee that everyone's going to come through. But you see, the point is that however long it takes, and if the person is willing, really right with God in their hearts, no matter how long it takes, there'll be someone who is going to see them through to the end. What I call the gift of ultimate personal stickability. See? Now, the reason that this is a gift is because it's not something you can do in the natural. This is, like all the other gifts we've seen, this is an endowment of the Holy Spirit given to somebody to help someone else. So that is what this gift is. It's, it's being in there with that person who everyone else has given up on, not given up on the person, but given up on bringing them to victory. So they just don't know what to do. 
It's being in there with them and bringing them through no matter how long it takes. And what's interesting, so, I mean, this, I mean, here we're talking about all what you might call the problem people. I'm not talking about problem people in a derogatory way. It's not what I'm meaning. But it covers all that, the people who are still in there with them to the end. And what's interesting is that in regards to this gift, he says, he who gives aid, he who has got Eliu, he says, do it with cheerfulness. And do you know what the Greek word is there? It's hilarity. It's the Greek word for hilarity. It's the Greek word for a good old belly laugh. That is literally the meaning of the word. <laughs> and what it means is that in your heart, if you have this gift, you're going to be laughing at the problem that everyone else has given up on. You're going to think, well, I can't. Why have they given up? <laughs> you see? But you'll still be in, you won't be able to give up. And it's kind of, you'll be saying, I don't know the answer yet. Everyone else has said, don't know the answer, don't, don't believe we ever will. <laughs> All right. But you're saying, don't know the answer yet, but the Lord does, and the Lord's going to do it. And making sure that you're there every step of the way until he does. Now, that is the gift of acts of mercy. Now, can you see how much we need believers in this fellowship, in every fellowship, but how much we need believers with that gift? And don't kind of just sit there thinking um, that kind of, oh, yes, yes, I'm... I know the very problem people he's talking about. Don't sit there thinking that. One day, it might be you. None of us know what's round the corner, do we? The fact that we might be going along all tickety-boo now in the Lord, we don't know what waits round the corner. It may well be that one day we are going to contract one of these insoluble problems that's flooring us. So you mustn't be too careful to say, oh yeah, I know the problem people he's thinking of. Because one day it might be you, and one day it might be me who's needing, not this gift to give to someone else, but we're going to be needing someone to come in and give it with us. All right, so, you know, sort of he who stands, take care, lest he fall. Right, now that is what's on offer, all right? Those gifts, married together with all the ones we've done in this series prior and all the ones we did in the spiritual gifts series, Apart from apostles and prophets, which we come back to next time, we've now covered the whole lot. Now then, that's what's on offer, and we need the lot. Every church needs every gift available. You don't need every gift on the go all the time, but you need every gift available for when it is needed. That is God's aim. As he's maturing us as a fellowship, the fact that all these gifts aren't on the go at the moment needn't get us down. It just means, well, we're still a baby church. We're growing. But this is what God wants us to be growing up into in regards to the gifts of the Spirit. The whole lot on offer, on standby, the whole time. But not just through some small elite you see, there are lots of churches, if you say, God wants your church to have all these gifts, they say, yes, hallelujah, we agree. But what they don't realize is that God wants those gifts spread out through everyone in that church. And they look at you all gone out because they've got a ministry team. <laughs> may, may God deliver us from ministry teams. 
I mean, a ministry team is the exact opposite from body ministry. And we are into body ministry here because that's what the Bible teaches. So may God deliver us from ministry teams. Incidentally, may I at this point, hang on, I've forgotten this, because I was ill last week and not here, may I just show you that now, courtesy of Belinda, this is my favourite Christmas present, set, well, set, no, it's, it's on a par with my rechargeable screwdriver. I am now in possession of a fully functioning Filofax. <laughs> Exactly. It was just I was talking about ministry teams and for some reason it just jogged my memory to tell you that I've got a file of facts now. And, and it, it's, I mean, honestly, we're talking about gifts and anointings of the Spirit. I, I just, since I've had that, I, I just feel that I've, I've just, God has just lifted me into the next dimension of ministry. I have a file of facts. Um, so so I, I, I think I can truthfully say that we can expect the teaching to be anointed in a way it's never been before. Right now, where was I? Yeah, that's right. It's not ministry. We want to see these gifts distributed amongst everyone in the fellowship. Not that everyone has got every gift, but that everyone is at least available for moving in whatever gift God wants to give them <coughs> at any particular time. And through this series, we've seen again and again verses in the Bible where Paul's saying to the, saying to the people, look, you may all prophesy one by one. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and there's no brackets, P.S., this is the ministry team. <laughs> Only. No, it's everyone, you know, that, that, that the Lord wants us to kind of you know, all be stepping out in it. And remember back in Romans 12 earlier, we saw this idea of in proportion to faith, in pro according to the grace given to you, step out in the gifts. Look, step out bit by bit. Can you see little steps first? Don't necessarily expect to start on cancer when we're talking about the healing ministry. Now, praise God, you might. But don't feel that if you pray for someone who's got a cold and boom, they're healed. That's it. That is great. I'm not talking about people who say, they say they've got a cold, all right, and you lay hands on them, and then three days later they're saying, oh, they laid hands on me and I'm healed. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, a cold will go away in that length. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But can you see, whatever it is, let's learn to walk before we can run. If necessary, let's crawl a little before we can run. However, all that area has been dealt with on the, um, the Gifts of the Spirit series. Now, there's just one or two other things that I want to say, just to sum this up. We need healings and miracles. We need those kinds of gifts and ministries raised up amongst us. We need them, we need them, we need them. But let me say, if people tonight, I've said, here's what's on offer. Go for it, lads. If people are sitting here tonight purely thinking in terms of healing and the gift of miracles, if you're sitting there, oh, they're the ones for me, there's something very wrong. And I mean that. There is something very wrong. How about the gift of giving? Has anyone said, oh, Lord, anyone said, Lord, that gift must be so close to your heart. Oh Lord, use me to give until it hurts of my money. 
Has anyone sat here and said, how about acts of mercy? The impossible people. Anyone said, oh, that's the one for me, Lord. I'll bet we've all sat here thinking, oh, healer. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, Lord, give me the ministry of healing. Can you see? Because there are a thousand sinful motives that might be tied up in you saying, oh, healing for me, that's the one. <coughs> Gift of miracles, that's the one. World-class evangelist, that's the one. Can you see? But when it comes to giving and acts of mercy, can you see? Only a pure heart yearns after gifts like that. So, what I'm saying is, let's make sure that whereas we don't want to cut the miracles out, no way, and we've got to desire those gifts. It's not wrong to desire that. But let's make sure there's no one here just desiring that. Because I'll tell you, this church has not and never will have any time for believers who are there like a shot if demons need casting out, who are there like a shot if a bit of healing is needed, who would be there like a shot if they were asked to come and do the Bible study. But when someone's house needs painting, or when there's someone in the fellowship who's really lonely and got loads of problems, you would have phoned up and say, could you just invite them round for a meal? They're lonely. They wouldn't be there so quickly. Can you see? We must really be praying that God will deal with anything of what I call the upfront syndrome in our hearts. Can you see? In seeking after the gifts, which we must do, we must also make sure that we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And you see, the point about Jesus is when someone needed money, he gave money. When someone needed acts of mercy, he stuck in there with them and saw them through. When someone needed raising from the dead, he raised them from the dead. And when someone needed healing of leprosy, he healed them of leprosy. It was all the same to him. Can you see? It was all the same to Jesus. There was no distinction in his mind. One thing mattered. Father, what do you want to use me to do now and what does this person need? No use giving someone who needs healing money. <laughs> but then it's no use giving someone who's broke and hasn't any money for their next meal. It's no use praying for healing that their hunger pains will go away. Is he? It's the gift that's needed at the moment. And we've got to make sure that our hearts are only wanting just what God wants. So that if we do end up front, there's nothing wrong with ending up up front. The question is, are you loving it? That's the question. Or are you indifferent to it? As happy up front as you are in acts of mercy. Easy. That's the idea. Just go back to Romans 12. Well, you should still be there. Let's just read verse 3 again. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So, I mean, that's what I mean by the Mr. Wonderful syndrome. You see, Paul here, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he just says, by the way, before I list the particular gifts I want to home in on at the moment, could I just remind you, please, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to do? So that, for instance, when God uses us in a gift of the Spirit, that does not entitle us to the Mr. Wonderful accolade. Or if 
If a lady is using the gifts of the Spirit, she does not become automatically Miss Christian Fellowship 1990. <laughs> it's the grace of God. Not us. It's what God did through us. I mean, can you imagine our kind of washing up gloves at home? And I got told off this tonight, and it was quite right. I'm going to wash up more. Can you imagine our rubber gloves at home feeling proud when I take them off because they've just done the washing up? <laughs> Pardon? Can you see, in a scenario, you do the washing up, you take your gloves off, and there are your gloves glowing with pride. Did the washing up? No, they didn't. You did the washing up. Now, when someone's healed through us, we didn't do that. God did that through us. We were just the gloves. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to do. Now, another thing. We've seen again and again and again in Paul's teaching here in Romans 12. Have you noticed in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, in the two main chapters when Paul deals with the gifts of the Spirit, both times he gives the teaching that we are the body of Christ and members of it. Have you noticed that? He teaches on the gifts of the Spirit in relation always to the teaching on the church, being a body of Christ. Now then, the gifts and ministries are given to the church. This is vitally important. We must understand this. None of us, whatever we're ministering at whatever time, whether it's within the context of the church or whether it's people outside who God is using us amongst who are nothing to do with the church, we must realize that none of us are ever independent of the church in any ministry that we do. The gift, the ministry that we move in has been given to the church and our accountability is to the church at all time. No ministry or gift is separate, autonomous from the church. And as soon as that happens, you get danger. The reason that we hear about all these scandals from all these world-class Christians, these world leaders and their scandals, I'll tell you why. Without fail, because they got a bit successful at a ministry and a bit well-known, they were launched to the top. And they're all of them at the top of their own organization. Now, when you've been the biggest fish in the pool and every other fish is smaller than you, what fish is going to correct you? Is he? So we must never ever think that our ministry is independent from accountability. Let's just go back to Philip. Go back to Acts chapter 8 when he went to Samaria. Now Philip, what are we talking about with Philip? Now we're talking about a guy. I mean this guy, he moses on down to Samaria because God led him to. He starts preaching there. He heals a few dozen people. He casts demons out of all the people who are oppressed by demons. And from the way it reads, half the blooming city gets saved. Now this strikes me, Philip is an evangelist, alright? This is, this is some ministry, isn't it? Okay? Then when he's finished there, the Holy Spirit actually, personally, transports him out into the desert, because there was someone driving through the desert in their BMW chariot, <laughs> who needed ministry so Philip whisked up by the spirit as supernatural as you like quite an, ev an evangelist par excellence alright but remember he was a deacon as well his ministry in the church was serving at tables 
who was Mr. Odd Job Man. That kept him humble, all right? But super evangelist if ever I met one, all right? Mr. Charismatic Capable himself. Now then, let's just read. Chapter 8, verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ. Multitudes gave heed to what was said, and he healed people, and demons were cast out. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right? Now go down into verse 45. Uh, now, now go to verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now then, where was Philip's home church? Where was he deacon? At Jerusalem. But he was also a travelling evangelist sent out by his church. Now, this is just one account of the many things that Philip got up to. And I mean, God used him in ways that aren't recorded in the Bible, but this is a typical incident, alright? Now, notice, he goes to a town. Loads of people converted. All right? Healings, demons cast out, and we know for a fact he baptised them. But there's something else here. And do you know what Philip did? And this, is, this shows us the heart of Philip. This shows us that Philip, the evangelist, was a different kettle of fish to the evangelist we get today. Because it says, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard Samaria received the word of God, how did the apostles, who were the elders of Philip's church, how did they hear about it? Well, I'll tell you, Philip got word to them. Now, Philip led the people, to, he preached the gospel, he led them to Jesus, he cast demons out of people who needed that, and he baptised them. We know that because when the, when the apostles got there, they had been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Philip did all that, but there was something he didn't do. He didn't pray for them that they might be baptised in the Spirit. He left that to the elders at his own church. Now, can you see what lies... We're not here looking at a rule for evangelism, but can you see Philip made sure that his ministry was tied in with the church? Here's he. When he was ministering out and about in places nothing to do with his church, he brought the leaders of his own church in on it. And he got them to pray that the, these people be baptised in the Spirit. Can you see, Philip did not consider himself independent from or unaccountable to his own church. He wasn't saying, now look, don't bother me about this. Look, when I'm, in, when I'm at church, when I'm with you lot, I'll be a deacon and what I do as a deacon, but I'm an evangelist, you're 50 miles away, just leave me to get on with it, will you? No! His church were in on it every step of the way. Because Philip knew that he was being sent out from his own church. Nothing he was doing, even in his own ministry outside the church, was considered by him to be separate from or autonomous from his own church. Now, can you see that? All of us are accountable. None of us can be off doing our own ministry thing, regardless of what it is, in a kind of a detached way so that it's independent from our own church. I mean, I go out and about, you know, teaching at churches, but it's so clear in my mind, I'm sent out from this fellowship. You see, it's not a question of that the here, here I'm an elder, but out there I'm a Bible teacher and you leave me well alone. Is it? 
couldn't, couldn't be further from the truth, can you see? We've got to make sure that we're not just out there doing our own ministry thing, whatever it is, independent from the rest of the body. And it's finally for this reason, alright? As we step out in ministry, whether it's God using us here with each other in the church, or whether it's outside, because a lot of the gifts of the Spirit, their application is ministry to people who don't know the Lord yet, alright? But whether it's here or outside, as we step out, bit by bit, learning, mistakes are going to be made. And we're going to make what will amount, objectively, to serious mistakes. Now, what I want to say is that making mistakes isn't a problem. We are only going to learn by making mistakes, but here's the important thing. Mistakes are no problem as long as the person who has made it is open to advice and correction. Easy. So the point is, let's say God starts to use you in a ministry, and we think, wow, that's great, but we start to see you going wrong. And I mean, let's face it, I mean, part of the idea of elders is the fact that they're further down the road than the rest of the church. Alright. I mean, for instance, I've been casting demons out of people for 18 years. Probably Robert's been doing it more like 25 years. Now, can you see, we've made loads of mistakes, and we really can help you not to make the kind of mistakes that we made. Can you see what I mean? So making mistakes doesn't matter. But we've got to make sure that people are open to correction. So, for instance, if, if you're ever kind of sort of, you know, someone comes to you and says, look, I'm not sure that that's the wisest way to do it. Don't go up the wall. What's it got to do with you anyway? God's using me. This is my patch. No, no, no. That is the exact opposite. And if people develop like that, then there will be trouble. Can you see what I mean? People are not going to be allowed to minister the gifts of the Spirit in this fellowship if they're not correctable. All right? because the Bible teaches that we are all accountable. You cannot have the gifts of the Spirit floating around on ministries if people aren't open to being corrected. All right, it's vitally important. We want people to step out and be used. We are not a fellowship that says only certain people can step out, no. We want everyone to step out and everyone is free to. The only condition we put on it it's just saying, please, we've all got to make sure that whatever we're doing is open to being examined and corrected if need be. We're not talking about anything heavy. I mean, if you've made a mistake, an honest mistake in ministry, I mean, no one's going to come knocking on your door and kind of... How dare you do that? No, I mean, we, we just want to make sure that we're learning how to get it right. So everyone is free to step out and minister, but the condition is that all of us are open to being corrected. And remember, and we've seen this again and again and again, people's freedom to minister and to bring God's grace, to be a channel of God to a church, must be proportional to their commitment to and their accountability to that church. Now that simple equation we have seen again and again and again. One's freedom 
to bring input from God to a church is proportional to their commitment and accountability to that church. And that is the equation that we work here. And it works. Because after all, let me ask you, if any of us are making mistakes, do we really want to remain uncorrected? I mean, wouldn't it be a foolish person who doesn't want to be corrected if they're doing something wrong? Isn't that silly? And it begs the question, if anyone resents the fact that they're corrected, I mean, sort of say they're stepping out in something and they're praying for people, you know, stuff like that, great. And then maybe they, they just receive a word of advice. Well, look, you know, we think that it might be, you know, just a bit more like this, not like that, right? Now, if that person goes up the wall and is resentful and not willing to bow to correction, it raises this question in my mind. And the question is quite simply this. Why are you ministering to that person? Is it so that Jesus can be glorified and that they can be blessed? Or is it because you're trying to show the fellowship what spiritual person you are and you resent the implication that you're perhaps not quite as spiritual as you're trying to make out? Is he? Be wary of people who go up the wall if they're corrected. It's one of the most dangerous conditions any of us can live in. All of us must be open to correction, especially in regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right, vitally important. Okay, there are only two ministries left that we haven't dealt with, apostles and prophets. Now we start on that next week, and believe me, we're gonna have some fun, but we've got some hard work to do on those. Uh, but you'll find out, or start to find out what I mean next time.